Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 111. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always, my grad school friend, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. My podcast friend, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? And you at home. You're the most important, of course. And we always want to hear from you. Make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Give us a phone call or a text message, 614-681-1798. You can also check out our Discord. It's discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Com or catch us on the social media hashtag SS pod on today's episode. We, uh, I'm sorry. We dive into the world of R with Christina Restucci. We also talk about the importance of your data and we're also going to dive into the world of the ASHA elections. But first let's start it off the way that we always do. We've got an SS pod shout out due process and find out where we've been Let's start from top to bottom. Michelle, how have you been this week? You know, I don't have much to update. Same old, same old here. <laughs> Just living the quarantine life <laughs> with a with a toddler. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that something will develop with how we can open our clinic in some capacity or see some patients or teletherapy. Who knows? That's um, but since it's n- it's a big hospital based mm. clinic it's not a you know a privately owned clinic where they can have a couple slps and that's how they run teletherapy now is that like a, do you have like a non-compete clause could you go and prn anywhere if you wanted to i could i'm technically okay. Okay. only like part-time prn so okay i'm hourly to begin with mm-hmm. i didn't know i mean like i know my one home care company had a uh, non-compete clause 
that they instituted after I had already been employed there and worked for three other companies. And they're like, you need to quit the other companies. And I was like, you pay me the least amount of all of them. So if I quit one, it's you. <laughs> Those non-competes are bull dude. Aren't they? They're, they're the worst. I know. I, we had a, um, for doctors, they're worse. Our old neighbor who moved away was a doctor. And that for doctors, it'll be like as the crow flies 50 what? miles. No. Yeah, non-competes. That places will sign. So new doctors graduating have to be real careful As about the what they're signing. Yeah. That means straight line for us Ohio people, Mike. I've never heard that phrase. Right. You have. know, you're from the city. <laughs> Those of us that lived in like no. the Midwest country. Understood. I grew up in a city, and I know that one. <laughs> Ohio is like more country than city, Michelle. All right, sure. <laughs> we have corn stalks on our license plates. Okay, that still doesn't mean people don't live in cities. <laughs> have you guys seen all all the uh, all the Ohio memes that have been on uh, on oh about Dewine on the and, on the inter, uh, on the interwebs? Wine yes. with Dewine, uh, snacking with Acton. There was this one. Action. This was this was a, yeah. this was a popular one. Yeah. <laughs> what does that say? Oh yeah. Ohio. <laughs> oh, I've been watching this. Oh. I've been watching so, this TikTok. You have to explain it because we have listeners who can't yeah, see that. Yeah, it's a video. Like, so just, it's just two people it's walking by each other, and one has an O, and they're yelling hi to each other, and the other one has an O on their shirt. Get it? Ohio. What state is round on the ends and high in the middle? <laughs> Ohio. I've been watching TikTok videos, and they're like, this one guy just plays every state, and he's like, he like plays Florida and he's like, is anyone going to call Ohio? And they're like, do we have to? And he's like, oh, oh, and then like he dresses up as a buck and he's like, I oh, who call? <laughs> uh, Mike, how have you been this week? <laughs> I'm doing well, busy. I have my uh, exceptional ed webinar on Wednesday, so I'm looking forward Ooh, to that. Yeah, that's right. You guys are frozen. Nope, you're still good, Mike. We just stopped moving. Oh, Mike went away. Literally, Mike went away. <laughs> Mike is gone. <laughs> well, while we're waiting for him to return, uh, my week has been uh, interesting. I built a wall, a garden wall on the outside, and moved 100 bricks around the outside of my house to finish that brick wall, or almost finish that brick wall. I've uh, been teaching my oldest son to read, and I have to say that is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Well, you can do it. I believe in you. You're an Ugh. SLP, a language expert, and a dad. So, super And powers. on the more fun side is I beat Jurassic World Evolutions, the video game, with my son. What system is, Which is what system is that on? PlayStation 4. You can also get it for a computer, but it is literally Roller Coaster Tycoon meets The Sims mixed with Jurassic World. Now that I'm doing teletherapy, Time suck. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of uh, Roblox with a lot of okay. with a lot of my kids. And that game, yeah. and that game is a lot of fun. Like, I are you I, doing it on the computer? Yeah, like, uh, like while you're on Zoom, you play Roblox huh. as like a little okay. incentive. Hmm. So much fun, so much fun. I did, I did teletherapy last week for the first time, and, it, and, and you loved it. How'd it go? Uh, in one group, seven showed up. In the other group, three showed up. And in the third group, no one showed up. So I sat there for forty-five minutes waiting for someone to show up, and then I sent an email and said, "No one came." You got to document, man. Document that you tried, I guess. So, Mike, you froze. How was your week? You froze literally in the middle of telling us. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. That was very scary. Um, <laughs> so it's been a busy week, uh, full force into the teletherapy now. Teletherapy has been going awesome. Uh, it's been been very productive and very positive. 
I'm also prepping for my exceptional ed webinar on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that'll be a really good time. So just getting everything prepared. Awesome. And then you'll be able to see that on recording, right? Yes, on exceptionaled.com as well. And that's exceptional, X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L, ed.com. All right. So any SS pod shout outs or due processes this week? Hmm. I don't think we do. I don't. I don't think we've had much interaction. We're gonna hear yeah. from some people. People we aren't want... commuting to jobs. We need you That's to true. listen to our That's podcast. <laughs> Hashtag SS Pod shout out. That is when you want to give recognition to somebody somewhere doing something awesome. And you know what? This week we will give it to. And I posted it a little bit on the Facebook. Um, May Ling and Lucas Stuber for creating the uh, COVID nineteen flipbook for communication patients on a ventilator. Uh, that, yeah, are, that was awesome. I've shared that with some people. That's already. a good shout out. I like that. Yeah, and what it is is that it is a almost it's a flipbook style communicator, where the patient can either look at it or point to it, and the and the communication partner can kind of interpret what they're saying, and it's good for people on a ventilator. And what broke my heart was that uh, I was talking to one of them off the air, and they were telling stories about how it's being used, but on part of the pages it talks about end of life decisions and it gives the person on a ventilator an opportunity to uh make that decision on their own so i think it's huge and i also like that they included a page with um built right in with fill in the blank yes so it just gives you something there already you don't have to add another page um for people to add in you know unique vocabulary for that person the fringe vocabulary that's important for them Um, what I also like about the, the, uh, the flip book is that it's a hundred percent free. They could have charged $5, a dollar for it. And it's a hundred percent free. So that's the way to do it, man. So. Especially now share it around with whoever needs it. Um, any SS pod due processes? I don't have I don't know. I don't think anybody's written into us either. Come on. <laughs> Again, everyone is struggling. <laughs> We're on the struggle bus. Head over to our website. Or uh, the discord.speechsciencepodcast.com or speechsciencepodcast.com. Hashtag SSPod due process or SSPod shout out. Let us know who you want us to shout out or take to court in front of others. All right. So let's dig in. Uh, evidently, every year we have a new national election for president, vice president, and other rotating chairs. Uh, this year, uh, it is the president elect, the vice president for finance, which is a two year term. Vice President for Government Relations and Public Policy, Vice President Speech-Language Pathology Practice, and the Vice President for Standards and Ethics in Audiology. And Michelle, you had a wonderful question before we started. I did, because I will admit on air that I did not know <laughs> that we elect a new ASHA president every year. Right. So last year, Why? it was Lynn Williams, who we interviewed and I met at ASHA, and I think she takes office this year. I'm not even sure how this works anymore. So I don't know. a year ahead of time. Yeah, so she is going to be... Okay, so I know how this works in Osla, and I'm assuming it works the same way in ASHA. And you Osla elect someone. Ohio. An Ohio Speech-Language Hearing Association. Thank okay. you. Um, that you elect somebody, and they become the vice... Or they become the president-elect. Then you have the president... And then after they're done, they have the past president position. So it's technically a three-year term. 
Oh, gotcha. But only one year are you the acting actual president. president. Yeah, and the idea is is the past president can give the current president advice, Mm -hmm. and then the president-elect can sit in on the meetings and learn what the president does. Well, thank you for explaining that, because that makes more sense. It's it's still still very confusing. Well... And the only thing I don't like about it, and I don't like about it in the the OSLA sense, in the Ohio sense, and I sit on Ohio's uh, legislative council for this, and the only thing I don't like about it is that it really can, if you don't have a good communication, and we have a great communication with with ours in, in Ohio, but it could really, it runs the risk of somebody not being able to really implement a plan that they want to see. I feel, and it feels like it could very quickly and easily be nothing happening because if you get in a realm where three people are elected that have differing opinions, mm-hmm. nothing happens for three years. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, do you really want an ASHA president for four years in a row? If they're doing a good job, sure. Yeah, well, that's true. If it was me, anyone. I don't ever want to leave. I want to be the emperor of ASHA. The emperor disband, disband the courts. Not the president. wizard, the wizard, emperor. the wizard of Asha should be a movie. <laughs> I will, uh, I will disband the courts and suspend the elections in a paramilitary martial takeover of Asha. But no, I mean, so that's kind of why the president position is up for every three years, um, and I believe the vice president for government relations, the vice president for speech language pathology practice, and the standards and ethics and audiology are also three year terms. Okay. So there that's you go. But know. but yeah, no, with you, I forgot that we were even running an election until about a week ago when somebody was like, "Who's everybody voting for?" I would say the yeah. vet, even though. 90% of SLPs, well, I don't want to say 90%, but the vast majority are home right now and have, mm-hmm. you know, or on their computers. I would say the vast majority of speech therapists don't know there's an election happening. What was last year? 10% of the numbers voted. So there you go. So that's a problem. That's a problem. I mean, we can, com- yeah. we can complain about ASHA and we can say all these things, but are we voting? 90% of us. Is there an ele- I, I mean, there I voted the last couple of years. Is there an electoral yeah, college? Yeah, but I've only uh, voted the last couple of years, not since I've been in SLP. Yeah, right, that's true. Decade. That's fair. That's fair. Oh, all right. Well, so there are a bunch of candidates, and what we're going to do today, we're going to break down the presidential candidates, and maybe next week we'll look at another one, um, and hopefully we get a couple people on air as well. We did last year with all three candidates, and who knows? We might just wait till after they're elected and then invite them on air. There should be debates. They should have them all on stage <laughs> and have them debate. We could host that. We Let's could reach out to and give them the give show. them case studies and see if they would know what to oh, what, what right. to do if they were the therapists. Man, if we did a case study, I don't think I would know what to do. The you case, would definitely yeah, but the case know what to do. case studies would be you have ASHA members who are really upset about yeah. this. <laughs> what are you yeah. going to do? Oh, right. <laughs> Someone wrote in the leader that they cry in their car. What do you do? <laughs> Michelle, who was that? Oh, Carrie Knudsen? Yeah. 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 I feel yeah. bad for Carrie, by the way. I mean, she was and great. I she, she is now a meme, and she didn't and she didn't even mean to be a meme. True, but I feel like she, you know, SLPs, we all have a social media of SLPs, just like any bubble in the social media world, they, has moved on very quickly. No, they have not. Have you seen about. the Facebook posts? There were things after crying it's in your car that were worse. Like, there was one thing where... 
uh, they were talking about school SLPs. And they were saying, instead of pushing for higher salaries, push for days where you can wear jeans. (laughs) What? No, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there were, and that's worse than crying in your car. Well, and also, I I do like my jean days, though. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I didn't realize till interviewing her how much leeway you sign off when you check that mm-hmm. box to say because you have to sign, to be published by organizations sign your life so, you know so to we check used off to, to say they can edit it we used to run articles on the old speechscience.org page and it was like legit like we had to tell people like yeah we have final say of what you write it was just because we didn't want them to be like uh asha is terrible everyone should boycott asha because, hey, we still want a working relationship with ASHA. Or uh, rapid prompting method is the greatest tool on earth. Or, you know, like, you, like it's kind of like a safety thing for as an organization. I mean, I get it. Yeah. So. I mean, I understand. It's just something I didn't realize was so oh, yeah, blanket yeah, yeah, yeah. in publishing. All right. So th- we're going to go over the president-elect today. Uh, we've got three candidates. we got Judy Rudabesh-Rich. Uh, we've got Paul R. Kil- Kilney and Melanie Hudson. We have I I am known for messing up names. Uh, Michelle, why don't I you ta- need Asha, and maybe I'll write them this. They need to put these names in, in IPA. IPA. Next I'm to still them. messing up, man. I will still mess it up. But why hey, don't they? Because they're a professional organization. All right, tell us about Dr. Judy. Rudabush Rich. Of course you have me go first. It's the third name on the list. <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to go last, and I've got the first name on the list. <laughs> all right. All is good. It's anyway. good to be the king, Michelle. The um, emperor of the future Dr. reign. Dr. Judy Rudabush Rich. Uh, she is, of course, a speech-language pathologist, but a lecturer and an educational consultant at the University of Texas at Dallas. Uh, she was also a superintendent, which I thought was really interesting, for student services at a suburban school district in North Texas. So she has plenty of years of public school experience. Her top priority on the board of directors is to develop communication, effective communication strategies with, to, and among ASHA members. And I thought that was interesting because a lot of times they don't mention that that importance of communication with us, right? The ASHA members. Uh, she has a big interest in the application of systems theory and best practice models for continuous improvement, data-driven team decision-making. And for over three decades, she has... Um, developed and improved models for school-based speech-language pathology, specifically workload approach, evidence-based and outcomes-based models for treatment, eligibility dismissal guidelines, staffing and funding for school-based SLPs, addressing the shortage of SLPs, and um, RTI. So definitely school-based experience and professor-lecturer experience. She's also a ASHA fellow, ASHA vice president, and has was the Division 16 steering committee. So a lot of experience. experience yeah, as a lot well. of extra experience. I do like the fact that she worked on the workload model in the schools and as a school-based SLP. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes my heart sing because let's get away from caseload numbers, y'all. Yeah, and actually look at workload. Mm-hmm. Mike, tell us about Paul R. Kilney. Okay, Kilney. okay. So Paul Kilney. R. Kilney. It looks like he is a doctor of audiology so not an slp uh he served as a director of audiology at the glen rose hospital in edmonton alberta canada 
Uh, he joined the University of Michigan's Department of Otolaryngology faculty. Uh, let's see. He was a professor for a while. He dedicated his entire career, career to the development, advancement, and innovation of the clinical practice of audiology. Very impressive. Uh, and he authored more than 160 journal articles, book chapters, and lectures. He's an ASHA fellow and the recip recipient of several awards. Um, basically, what he's saying, uh, what he said is his top priority if elected to the ASHA board of directors. Uh, he's saying this is an era of expected disruptions associated with political, professional, economic, and technological events. And he is motivated to guide the profession during these times, um, these times of change and, and obstacles. And he believes that we need to supplement our practices with components such as telehealth and artificial intelligence-driven practices. Hmm. I also did, I'll add in, I thought it was interesting looking at his bio, he established one of the first auditory brainstem response to so the ABR, yeah. newborn hearing screening programs in North America. And so at the University of Michigan, he co-founded their cochlear implant program and the newborn hearing, hearing screening program and neurophysiologic intraoperative monitoring program. I mean, having a uh, audiology as a president would go a long way of helping bridge the gap between SLPs and AUDs. I agree. I agree. I mean, right now we've got the ever, I mean, here in, in Ohio, you've got your own struggles in between associations and then in other states. But like as a national, we do have the, the AAA versus the ASHA and, and the, the, what is it? The American Audiology Association is the AAA. You know, they talk about how ASHA doesn't represent what they stand for. And if we really are going to be a speech and hearing association, maybe an audiology president's not the worst we could do. The man has an impressive resume. He certainly does. Mm -hmm. So he certainly know he certainly put in put in the work. He's clearly worked with Asha for quite some time. Uh, done a lot of research on his end, and you know, it seems like he really he really worked his way up. So uh, seems like a definitely a qualified candidate, even though he's not an SLP. Yep. A uh, third candidate is uh, Melanie Hudson, Triple uh, C SLP. She's also the national director uh, for EBS Healthcare. Uh, she works closely with many communication science disorder graduates and prepping them for their clinical fellowship as part of the EBS University Outreach Program. She also serves as the chair of the Advisory Council uh, for the University of St. Augustine's uh, Speech and Language Hearing Program and also a member of the George Washington University Alumni Council CSD Program. Uh, let's see. She's also served on Ash's board of directors as chair of the speech language pathology advisory council. She's been on the special interest group coordinators as the coordinator of SIG 11 and the board of ethics. Uh, she was a member of two Asha ad hoc committees, the 2018 on governance review and the 2013 committee on supervision. Uh, she's also inducted into the national academies of practice as a distinguished fellow back in 2019 in honors of the Georgia speech language hearing association in 2016 and the hall leadership in 2017. Um, her top priority if elected to the ASHA board of directors, uh, she would, uh, Appreciate the pivotal role of audiologists and speech language pathologists as advocates for our profession. Her priority is to empower the members to improve the lives of the 40 million Americans living with communication challenges. So she's also got a pretty uh, impressive resume, 30 plus years in practice. Um, 
you know, another EBS person that we've had on air before was uh, was Carly Stoltenberg, I believe, the Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, recovery. That was the SLP. So that would be Melanie. I would personally say, though, that the, the EBS background is a little, little controversial, though. Yeah, no, let's let's not stray away or stray away, shy, shy away. There we go, guys. Sorry. Let's not shy away from that. I mean, that is kind of questionable when you got someone that's the national director at EBS in a position of of presidency. Yeah, EBS is one of those large, uh, you know, basically SLP factories. Uh, I remember graduating from grad school and EBS trying to hire me as a CF directly over the phone without even hiring me. Uh, they wanted me to, to, to choose to sign a contract without knowing where I was going to work, what my hours would be, how many schools, what my caseload would be. Uh, they just wanted me to sign my name on the dotted line and join as fast as I could and tried their best to make, make me feel special and worthy and like I was a, <laughs> like a great candidate. And I've spoken, you know, well, at that time, <laughs> but uh, a, a lot of, a lot of, I've spoken to a lot of SLPs that have worked for EBS and they were severely underpaid, uh, terrible supervision in terms of CFs, uh, a lack of cohesion, a lack of collaboration. So in terms of a true evidence-based practice, best practice model, I would not say EBS has the best reputation. And I would say I've heard a mix of both of those from people. Yeah. I was recruited by them too, even did a couple interviews through them. And I do remember them just like, I think at every grad school that they present at, all the ones they can. Um, but I do have friends who worked for them for several years, one in multiple states. And then um, even just with her, those experiences were drastically different based mm -hmm. on where she was hired, what district she was hired into, where they found her a job, right? So I do think just like any placement company, it depends a lot on what that final placement is, what supervision you get, what support you have. I think that if you look at a company like EBS, and I hear exactly what you're both saying, Mike and Michelle, I think they fill a need in our, in our field, which is getting bodies into positions. Um, I think a lot of times that, it's easy to become jaded when you're in a position like that too, that you're just filling positions. And especially if you've got like a headhunter that's, you know, placing people. But we also, so, I was also on the other end know. of that where this, um, a school district I worked for hired SLPs from there as well. So I had coworkers right. who were EBS employees, which was almost a catch 22 because I actually knew that they were making more than I was. Based Ooh. in the school district. <laughs> so I know they might be underpaid, but I'm sure I was probably underpaid too. Looking back as a young SLP, you don't always know. And, yeah, my um, first year out, I got paid 25 grand. Yeah. So with a, ma two years. With a master's degree, which is insane. No, you, didn't, you didn't have your master's yet. You oh, did yeah, that's the right. bridge program. Yeah, that's right. What the hell is that? So, okay, I'm an Omni student here in Ohio. So it was the Ohio master's something initiative something well still something like that anyway so what it was was on, that dude. was that they needed slps thrown into school districts and so i got a year of free grad school and 12 grand and then had to take two more years of grad school online and worked for two years in the job placement so yeah so it extended but, your yeah. grad program to three years but you it were working for two of them for two of them. But still, yeah. that's, so, that's ridiculous pay. Michelle and I went to the same grad school. She graduated a year before I did. 
but we were but, in the same cohort. But I have an extra year of experience than she does. Nice. Who's better? <laughs> I don't want to say, but Michelle's smarter than me. So <laughs> she didn't take the three-year grad program. But no, I mean, when we look at, like, my concern when we look at somebody that's, like, in the national organization or when we look at somebody that's uh, an audiology person and i'm throwing my support behind the school-based slp and there's a reason for it is because i'm a school-based slp when i look at someone like melanie hudson who's the national director at ebs i look at that her priority will probably be to help situations that get new grads into the programs when i see somebody like uh dr kilney uh, he, I see that his priority is probably going to be on the audiology side. But then when I look at somebody that is like Dr. Rudabish Rich, I look at, you know, hey, she's a school-based SLP, and I'm going to vote for my school-based SLP concerns. I was saying, yeah. I'm sorry about, like, linking, like, people into the private practice. I'm sorry. not yeah. that I don't want to make it sound like she is going to increase our – grad school numbers no that is not what i meant at all i apologize if i, I don't understand what you mean linking sense. people into so like i feel like practice. her priority will be more the like the corporate side linking slps with companies i don't know i mean i look at somebody that's an ebs person and i think that they're going to that's where they're that's where they've worked i would want to support somebody that's more in the schools because that's where i work mm-hmm. so i don't know I could be completely wrong, and I have been in the past. So I think it's a fair question. I, I yeah. honestly, I would like to interview her, and I think so too. I mean, she's a more of a clinical edu- clinical SLP versus the school based SLP. Agreed. I think. Agreed. I mean, is she though? Because you say clinical, but now EBS places mainly in schools. Do they? See, yeah. this is why I don't know. This is why we have these conversations, and I learn. That I'm an idiot, Michelle. In the schools that <laughs> can't, find, can't, can't fill it can't, otherwise. Can't fill otherwise. So they reach out to the big the big boys. Uh, let's see. She's published in the Professional Issues in Speech-Language Pathology. Uh, let's see. She's been in multiple settings. Attained funding for inter- interdisciplinary summer program for at-risk pre-kindergartners in public schools and cool. has presented on the topic of service delivery models. All right. Maybe you, maybe you swung me, Michelle. I'm saying out of these candidates, we have two school-based SLPs primarily, and we have an audiologist. Two of these people are professors. Only one of them mentioned workload. One works for a big company that places SLPs mainly in schools. Mm -hmm. Anyways, have either of you, a question for you, have either of you been interviewed through like a headhunter or a company like EBS? Because it's really interesting, and I think having Mm -hmm. been through it now – when I was a new grad, right, looking at places, and then again when I, we were moving, I looked at some of those options and then it ended up going with direct hire. But um, you do have to be really mindful of how they're selling you because obviously mm-hmm. they are. But I'll use the example of um, American Sign Language, right? Yeah. So I interviewed with them and they sold. They told these people that I was fluent. Ooh, not okay? good. And at that time, especially, I was not. And I still don't consider myself completely fluent because there's so much I don't know. Um, But because they're like, oh, yeah, she knows ASL. But if you tell a deaf community or a deaf school that that is the case, they hear it as a completely different thing than, oh, they know a lot of sign language, right? And 
So you have to be careful. Just if I ever go through someone like that again, I'm definitely going to make sure that I can see whatever bio they're sending about me to make sure that I agree that it's accurate. Because on the flip side, I was part of an interview team hiring someone through EBS for a job that I had. And it said that she was a child of a deaf adult, right? In her bio, which again, in the deaf community is is a term they use a coda is a first language is asl person like their they parents, said you were a child no 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 this oh, was someone okay. someone who was applying to a job for us um said she was a child of a deaf adult they use that phrase that term is a coda c-o-d-a and that means that you had deaf parents deaf family your first language was asl so you are like the fluent speaker of asl right that is your l1 and it turned out that her father had lost his hearing later in life. Oh, we can't do that. So totally different description, right? But you have to be mindful if you're t- if someone else is selling you for this job that it's accurate. Obviously, you want to upsell yourself, but fair enough. Well, the thing the thing is is that what a lot of people don't realize is these big companies like EBS they hire salespeople. When you're talking to someone on the phone, you're talking to someone where if you sign that contract they're making a commission. So they so they, they found someone who knew. But again, talk to the company. Talk to your recruiter because it depends on the company if they're making a commission on that. Yeah. Do they have to tell you that? Um, I don't know if they have to, but you can ask. Well, that's fair. I mean, because we touched on our last. Do they have to tell you the truth? At the last, my last <laughs> interview with Ashley Hamlin yeah. right, on the last episode, touched on a little bit of this. So it's a good listen just because she is a recruiter for a travel therapy company. It's not a placement company like EBS, but for travel therapy. Well, I thought it was interesting during the interview. Mm -hmm. She even mentioned to you that she was like, she never saw herself being a headhunter. Right. Exactly. But I think you have to find a company. And she mentioned that she worked for companies. She wasn't, she didn't mention names, but company, she has purposely left other jobs because of what was commission based or what was okay in her world. That's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not being um, recruited by anybody, so... That's because you got pulled into your job now. <laughs> That's because you're Matt Hot, man. You're the speech science but, host. You know what, though? I think it's a good conversation that we had, and you know what? I mean, you're right. I mean, we've got we've got someone from the national company, we've got an audiologist, and then we've got a... I was going to call her a school-based supervisor, but she's also a, a, a education consultant and a lecturer, so... Mm-hmm. We want to know from you. What do you think? Who do you like? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798, or hashtag it up, SSPod, or for reals, go to our uh, Discord, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Do you guys do Discord? It is what the cool kids do now. I just I do I because just you downloaded told me it. to download Did it. Did you really? I got to join the server. So the problem is, is I'm now in like eight different discords and totally different conversations. Matt. And I joined my first Patreon, guys. Oh. Did you? Nice. So, yes. So, okay. I will give a plug for the people that I'm joined my Patreon for. And I know we have a Patreon and I don't think people understand what Patreon is. 
Mm-hmm. And but, I think you should also give a short description of what Discord is because if oh, anyone's yes, like I'm sorry. me and they go, what are you sending me, Matt? <laughs> they don't know. So a dis- the Discord is like message boards mixed with text messaging, mixed with Facebook social media. And basically it is a area that the 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 administration can create different channels for different conversations so for example we have school-based slps we have private practice we have uh, a research channel i believe we also got just random channels for anything i'm also in different discords for comic books where we talk about marvel in one channel and uh, dc in another but no so i joined a patreon and what we do here on the podcast, we do it for free, and so does this other podcast. But they, like us, run a little Patreon where we, we say, hey, if you like it, throw a little cash at it. And uh, during this time, I decided to throw my little bit of extra cash towards a podcast called Night Drive uh, by Michael Tool- Truly. Um, and it is a comedy satire-based radio program that he produces once a month. And it is about the funniest thing I've ever heard. And the premise is is a night show at 1 a.m. in Florida. In Fuckahatchee, Florida. <laughs> What's the city called? Fuckahatchee, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and like the big controversy on the last couple of episodes was that they put a gator farm next to an elementary school. I feel like we're going to go back to Tiger King real quick with so, this conversation. But no, so I've been laughing so hard about it because it's one of the ways I've been getting through going to different uh, job sites that I decided. I reached out to the dude, and I'm like, I'm signing up for your Patreon, dude, and it's $4 a month. So he can get my 50 bucks a year and make me laugh, and it is well worth it. So. Awesome. All right, so our second story, finally we're getting to it 40 minutes into the show. Actually, you know what? Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about this. At the break, uh, we are going to have an update from the Informed SLP. We also dive into the whole world of our You're Listening to Speak Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hunt. Somewhere in your therapy career, you've either worked with or will in the future work with the dreaded R. For some, the R sound will give therapists nightmares. And for others, they're instrumental in creating a program to help therapists work on R. Our guest today, Christine Restusha. Uh, she received her master's of science degree in communicative disorders at the University of Redlands in Redlands, California, and a bachelor of science degree in health sciences from San Diego State University. Christine is an experienced school-based speech-language pathologist who has worked with a wide range of communicative disorders, ranging from preschool to adulthood. 
Uh, she also founded Say It Right in 1999. Her phonemic approach to R remediation, the entire world of R, sets the standard for efficient, successful correction of the R articulation errors. And she is also the author of several books and has spoken throughout the United States on articulation disorders. Christine, welcome to Speech Science. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. So before we get into anything, I want to know a little bit about you. Why and how did you become a speech and language pathologist? Um, I became a speech therapist because my mom is a speech pathologist. And I would go to school with her on my winter breaks and whenever I had a break from school. And she worked... Um, with a variety of students and kids. And I liked all the different challenges of her job. And so I decided that I wanted to be a speech therapist myself to help other kids <laughs> and people. Now, where, I know. Now, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm originally from uh, the Pennsylvania area, but I grew up in the central part of California. Okay, so that's why you went out all the way out there for, for undergrad and then grad school. And then now you're in Georgia, is that correct? That's correct. How did you yep. transition to there? <laughs> well, my cousin had, she got married in Atlanta, and my ex-husband and I at the time came down to Savannah, and we went to a place called Tybee Island and looked all around and compared to San Diego, there was no traffic and <laughs> the, price, the price of houses was a lot lower and it just was a slower pace of life. And at the time I had an 18 month old and a three year old. So it looked very enticing and it actually was, it was a really amazing time to grow up on an island and have kids be able to run in the street and meet all these local people from here that have these traditions and it's just been a really unique experience for sure compared to san diego and california <laughs> i have uh true story i've never been any farther west than colorado but uh my wife and I will drive down to Orlando a few times, and I think Georgia is probably the longest state in America because it feels like you drive into that state at 8 in the morning, and you're still there at 8 p.m. if you're trying to drive through it. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you probably don't see a whole lot of traffic if you're driving down 95 or 16 because there are a lot of farms and a lot of open space. That's so. fair. Unfortunately, I got to take 75 <laughs> through Atlanta usually. And that is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get more into the articulation thing, did you start working with articulation or did you want to work more with the language? And then how did that morph into to articulation? Well, I did my hospital internship and I worked with in a Day to, well, I worked in a day treatment center with brain injury, and I really enjoyed that. And that was before I got into graduate school. And then I worked, I did one of my hospital internships at Scripps Encinitas in the San Diego area. And after, and then I did my school placement. So after 
I did my school placement and I compared it to my hospital internship, I remember distinctly saying, I just want to work with kids with R. And, and I didn't know. <laughs> I was just still a student. <laughs> I had no idea that what I said was going to become a reality. I just enjoyed working with articulation at the time. And then I graduated and did my CFY year and my CFY supervisor was amazing. And so I was, she was at an elementary school part-time and then they put me with her part-time and then there was a middle school next door. So I got to pick her brain about articulation and just being a speech therapist in the schools. And then I was working with R and I just was not being successful and I'd go to IEP meetings and have to repeat the goals. And I was really embarrassed because I just, I really wanted to do well with these kids. And I know a lot of speech therapists were, I would consider us perfectionists to a certain degree because <laughs> we want to, we're passionate about what we do and we want to, do well with these students and I was not successful with our so I thought well I want to figure this out so I started just coming up with a screening form and I interviewed the resource teachers about their approach to R and just reading disorders and I don't know, the whole thing kind of came together. It, it was really a trial and error and then I had a um, an older colleague that I did my hospital internship with and she had 20 years experience. So I was telling her about what I was finding and what I wanted to do. And so she's the one that actually came up with the entire world of our title. And so it was just, a, it was a grouping. Of, it, it was about, I would say about six months, but it happened within a couple of months of my CFY year. Like it wasn't like it was long. <laughs> it was, wow. it was, I think it was just really meant to be. And then it became, um, I came up with these card decks cause I loved playing cards and then LA unified school district. I believe it was in May. They asked me to take my card and come up and present on why I came up with these cards. And at the time it was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like these are all the art sounds. <laughs> so I was like, I, I just had to brainstorm about this process of why I came up with it. And this 10, it became this 10 step process that became replicable. And then with San Diego Unified School District, that's the name they were at the time, they actually did a research study with it and they were able to get good results too. So it was, it was just this whole um, synchronicity of events based upon the comment of, I just want to work with kids with our disorder. <laughs> so they just, the university just picked it up and you, you were lucky enough to just go, Hey, this is getting evidence based behind it before I even start it basically well i don't yeah i don't i don't know how <laughs> la unified school district knew about my cards like they like i went to asha and did the little tabletop and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden all these school districts would ask me to come present but they were the first ones 
And um, yeah, that's how I came up with my my first book, The Entire World of Our Instructional Workbook, was based upon these cards and the presentation that I was asked to do for LA Unified School District. I had no idea that I was going to be presenting and writing books and having say it right. Like that was when I was in graduate school, like I had no idea. <laughs> like I was, I was terrified of public speaking at the time. <laughs> but so, then I also remember like my last year, uh, my last class that I took, it was like a clinical class and we had to present on different things. I can't even remember now, but the instructor told me, she said, you're going to be a public speaker. And I said, what? I was terrified of speaking. Like I would, I would obsess <laughs> for, you know, like if I had an assignment and I had to do a presentation, it was stressful for me. And she's like, nope, you have a talent. You're going to be presenting to other people and you're going to be in large audiences. And I was like, really? And she was right. So it, it was really, it was really interesting. <laughs> So I know you kind of said you really like R. And so I kind of alluded to it in the beginning. For some people, R is a nightmare to to do therapy on. I really enjoy R because I see those are the students I see a lot of growth in, especially the students that like buy in and say, I want to get this fixed. What mm-hmm. was it about R that just drew you in? Like, like I said, for some therapists I'll talk to in my own school district or other school districts here in Ohio, and they'll say, uh, once a kid hits 12, if they've got good grades, I, I, I discharge them from speech therapy as quickly as I can. Why, why R? <laughs> I think R picked me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was. I thought it was kind of fun because I, rem- I just remember working with this one R workbook and in my uh, school placement and I, I don't, it just seemed fun to me. And it was, it was kind of different. And I liked all the words in there. I don't know why I was drawn to R. I have no idea why, <laughs> why I was. It just, and I don't even know why I made that statement. Um, honest to God, I don't, I don't remember, <laughs> but something, I think it was destiny <laughs> or something. <laughs> I remember yeah, I when know. I I remember when I first worked with my first R student. I was in the clinic working with a young adult, and uh, I remember having to sit there do a sentence that said something like "Riley rode a roan on the ridge," and to hear hear the student say like two of the words correctly, I was I bought in right away, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I really like this." Yeah, I think it's just fun and challenging. I like challenges, and for me. It's just very systematic. Articulation for me is super systematic. It's, I like watching the patterns of it and I'm very big picture. So mm-hmm. if I, if I assess a student, even informally now, I mean, I can just see the patterns of fronting, backing, you know, substitutions and it's just interesting and it's pretty predictable in a lot of ways. If you understand speech science and you understand phonetics and, you know, manner placement of the articulation of the sounds, it's, it's pretty systematic. And I, I, I like that. 
because I see faster results with that. And with R, it's the same thing. It's very systematic once you understand the patterns. And it's almost like a puzzle. And so I see patterns of sounds and I hear the patterns and I, I like, I like to problem solve with it. And so it, when it's you something I'm, I'm good at it. So I like it. <laughs> so when you talk about a system, let's talk about the entire world of R. What is okay. the system behind that? Because I may have uh, gave myself away at ASHA when we talked about it, that my school district has the books and I just started using them as therapy and didn't even realize there was a system. And I think when I mentioned that your eyes got as big as saucers, like, oh my gosh, this guy is not going to do right with, with articulation. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, the system is first you have to do a screening or an assessment and figure out the inventory of what students can do and not do. And a lot of cases with R since there's, 32 R allophones or unique sounds. It's important to see where the student is successful and where they're not successful. And the whole reason for this is because there's R is in so many different words that when I present and talk to speech therapists, they often are focused on what students cannot do with R, and we know that a lot of students can't do a lot of R if they have mm -hmm. an R articulation disorder. So I always do an inventory to work on what they can do. And then I call the words that they can correctly produce keywords. And I write down all the keywords on a piece of paper. And the reason being is because when you're trying to teach placement talk, with R, there's two ways to make the R sound. There's the retroflex, which is the tongue tip curled up and back like a backward C mm -hmm. or like a, a humped up mountain tongue. And it's very, I don't know, Matt, how you feel when you're trying to teach placement with R, but it's pretty difficult to d yeah. explain <laughs> how, how to do it and what it's supposed to feel like and bringing your tongue sliding it behind your back molars it's so i gave up trying to verbally explain to students how to produce <laughs> the r i just use keywords and i use what they can correctly do and to reinforce how it sounds how it feels and we practice using those keywords over and over again. And then when you do the entire world of our advanced screening or a screening tool, you can choose a target, which is any sound between uh, with an accuracy of 50 and 80%. Hmm. And with that, you work at the single word phrase and sentence level and then all the way up to the reading level. And a lot of phonemic word lists or word lists for R that you may find on the internet or people put compiled together or in workbooks, at least what I found is R is based upon initial, medial, and final. So like mm -hmm. you'll have initial R like red, run, race. 
but then the medial and final R's are mixed. So you'll have like four um, stardom. So it, it, the phonetic consistency of the R sound is mixed up. Right. So with the phonemic approach, you have words like um, farm, barn, stardom. So like that would be an AR medial and it's phonetically consistent in all of the word positions so that you can make progress. And since there's so many different types of R, it's easy to mix up the word list. And then students get confused because they're not practicing the same sound over and over again. Because mm -hmm. R is not like a T or an S where you have a consistent placement every single time. Right the alveolar ridge. Well, R is different because of the vowels that come before it or the consonants in consonant blends that come before it. It's confusing and it switches. Now, you said that the, to pick the target, and it was kind of more at the beginning where you said they have to be in that 50 to 80% range. If they're uh -huh. below that 50, are we not targeting it at all? And we just kind of hope that it when, when do you start targeting the ones that are below the 50% line? Well, you're not going to worry about those. Okay. So I don't know if you've ever heard of it's not my circus, not my monkey. Yeah, that's my I, – I have that stapled on every wall in my classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the misproduced R's are not your circus, not your monkey. You're not going to worry about them because – I find that most therapists stress about them. They're like, oh, my mm -hmm. God, he can't do this. I'm like, but what about all the things he can do? So I don't worry about the R's that they, that they cannot produce. I just worry about the target that I'm going to be working on. And then once you work with that specific target using those consistent word lists, then you – Readminister the screening to see which R's have come in because a okay. lot of the R's they'll come in on their own without you even having to work on them, even the misproduced R's. Oh, yeah, so that's what I mean. It's like a puzzle. Then you're like, oh, let's see this week what's come in as a result of me doing all this other work <laughs> because an R is an R is an R, and so you just have to then you redo the screening. You figure out, you do your keyword list again, you look at 50 to 80%, and then you choose your new target. And you just keep, it's a process of elimination. You keep working with the one R that you feel is going to be successful. You keep adding to the keywords, and then you readminister the screening. When you're working with R <laughs> students, do you find yourself... I, I guess this is more, this is a personal therapy question, so it might help a listener out there as well. It, do you stay stuck at the word level or do you try to go as quickly to the sentence level, kind of like what we work with apraxia where we try to teach grouping at the, the phrase level? Do you try to get there as quickly as you can or work mastery at the word level first? Well, that's called blocked versus randomized practice. And there's, mm -hmm. there's research on that randomized practice mat, like, you were talking about with the apraxia therapy where you work at the single word level and then you move to sentences and then you move to reading and then you move to phrases. Um, I don't stay at the single word level necessarily. I 
pick whether I'm going to do block or randomized practice based upon the student okay. and how they're doing. Because a lot of times I'll go up to the phrase level and I'll say, ah, nope, we need to go back to the single word level. Or if in the case where you have a list of keywords that you know that they can already produce those words, you can start putting those, plugging them in the stories like Mad Libs or at the sentence level because they already have those arts. But the misproduced arts, it just depends whether I'm going to do block practice where I stay at the single word level till 80% and then move to the phrase level to 80% and then the sentence level to 80% versus yeah, doing single word sentences. I find that the randomized practice is a lot more conducive to carryover because carryover is going to be, it needs to be done the whole time. And a lot of times I'll talk to therapists. They're like, what about carryover? What about carryover? And I, right. and I say carryover is happening all the time, like all the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm always listening to them in conversational speech. I'll let, at the beginning of the time, I'll say, what did you have for dinner? What did you do yesterday? That's carryover. I'm listening to the R's that they can and can't produce and writing them down. Um, all during the therapy session, that's carryover. Again, when I'm hearing them talk, especially in conversation, I'm not stressed about the R's that they can't do. I'm only listening for the R's that we've worked on. That and makes I sense. think that. Yeah, so that I feel like the randomized practice, um, the learning theory where you randomize the complexity levels can be effective for some students and not necessarily all of them, if that makes sense. No, no, that makes sense. And then that leads me, I guess, to my next question. And maybe you're not going to like this question, so I apologize. That's do okay. You, do you feel that every R student can get their R's or, or is there ever a point where you say mm, we're, this is about as good as you're going to get and unfortunately you're about 50% on all your R's well I feel but that based upon my research 95% of students can produce at least one R oh, wow. sound for sure yeah and I've had I have a middle school student right now who he misproduces R at the sentence level, but he misproduces a lot of his sounds. Like he doesn't have his initial S blend. Hmm. He can do R, but it, it is at the single word level and there's not a whole lot of carryover, but he also doesn't have syllables. He doesn't use syllables when he produces words. Anywhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, I think that if it's just a pure R student, of course, I, I do believe that you can work with them. I've worked with um, English as a second language students who are older students and they didn't have their R's and we've worked on those. I do think that some students have different disorders, interfering disorders. Maybe they have a level of apraxia. Maybe they have dysarthria, different, different disorders that are contributing to their R misproduction. But I think incrementally they can get better with those more severe students 
you just have to be very, very patient and very incremental on what you're doing with them, if that makes sense. No, 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 that makes sense. And then I, I guess I'm going to open up a can of worms here. When we're talking R therapy, do those R therapy tools work? <laughs> the bite blocks, the, the bite blocks or the modified dentist tool that I can stick in somebody's mouth or anything like well, that. <laughs> a lot of those tools, Matt, from, from what I've seen, and I, I can't speak for exactly what you're referring to, but from some of the ones I know about, some of them are only designed for the retroflex star, which is the tongue tip curled up and back like a backward C. So if, this, if your student is making a retracted R and you're trying to force them to make a, re, a retroflex R, a backward C, yeah, that's not going to be effective because they're going to, it's like writing with your left hand when you're right-handed. It's sloppy. It's not going to sound the way you want it. And a lot of times these students have secondaries, which are the They'll roll their eyes in the back of their head or move their jaw, have jaw instability or um, scrunch their face. And I call those secondaries. And that's because they're making the tongue position that's not natural for them. Huh. And yeah. And so whenever my favorite thing to do when I teach people about R and I do my seminars and my presentations is to have speech therapists say the word Archie and look in each other's mouth and decide if they're making a retroflex R or a retracted R. And you can see the retroflex R by the tongue tip curling up and back. And the word Archie is a more visual R sound. So you can look in someone's mouth and see the tongue tip curling up and back like a backward C. Yeah. And then I'll tell the therapist, to make the opposite tongue position that they're making. And I have them look in a mirror or I have another therapist watch them. And I said, what is, you, what is your mouth, what is your forehead doing when you're making the opposite R? You know, say you're making a retroflex R and, and you're trying to make a retracted R and they have the secondaries also. So it's not just the students with our articulation disorders, it's seasoned speech pathologists making the wrong tongue position for them. The unnatural I, tongue position. I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I've been in this field for almost 10 years and I honestly kind of never really paid attention to the difference between retroflex and retracted. And as you're talking, I am trying to figure out, and I think I do a retracted R and I think that might, I, I'm instantly thinking about a student I'm working with right now I think they do a retroflex, and I've been trying to get them to do a retracted. Exactly. And what are you seeing in their face? How does their face look? They look like I'm crazy, and they're struggling. <laughs> that's why. Yes. So that's why That's why I use the keyword. So I'm not teaching them tongue position necessarily. Yeah. But they're working with things that they're successful with. And that would make sense of why some of those therapy tools, the the ones you put in your mouth, they don't always work with some kids because if some kids don't use the the, uh, I was gonna say the 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 one type of art, it's not gonna work with them. 
exactly. Yep. The reason I That's do this show thing. is so that I become a better therapist. And I think you've just fixed one of the issues I've been struggling with this school year. <laughs> Yes, that's well. That's I have a I have a group of seminars, and one of them is the ten missing links of R, and one mm -hmm. of those is um, talks about tongue position. <laughs> one of the missing links is teaching the R sound that the R tongue position that you do naturally, and might not necessarily be working for your student. <laughs> that. You have just blown my mind. We are recording this over Christmas break. This will probably run somewhere in the middle of the end of January. And right now I want to get back into my school building and start working with this kid uh, to see if I can fit, make a difference. You're, you're awesome. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. It's, it's been 22 years of trial and error. Right. Um, yeah. I've been doing this a long time. I've worked with a lot of R's and, this approach was very simplistic when I first started, and now it's like, like I said, it's tried and true and replicable. So, so it, it, that's why it's fun. <laughs> I'm loving this conversation right now. What yes. is there something that we didn't get to touch on on the world of R or about your career that you wish I would have asked the question about? Um, I just think. The main thing about a lot of speech therapists that I talk to and work with, it's really just trust this process and use, use the 10 step process and just watch your R students transform. There's a lot of them. They're like, Oh, this can't possibly work. Or you're more gifted clinician than me. And it's really, this is a replicable approach that works for everybody. But you have to not worry about misproduced R's. You've got to work with the natural tongue position of students and work with those key words. And I think a lot of or a lot of clinicians will say, "Well, I did this, and and he did this, and and this happened, and that happened, and all that might be true, but with us." You have to do the screening and work that 10-step process because if you don't, I feel like a lot of therapists will throw in the kitchen sink and they'll be like, Christine, you don't even believe he does this, 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 and this. And I'll say, okay, did you do the screening? No, I haven't done the screening yet. I'm like, well, none of that's relevant unless you've done the screening. <laughs> and because you could say they could do ten. You could go on for ten days about all the things they do, but it, you haven't worked the process yet. And I think that's the conversation you and I had at at, at Ash. And I was like, "Oh, I'm doing everything. I need to readjust what I'm doing." <laughs> yep. Just follow that ten step process, and we have different courses to teach you how to do it. And once you follow that process and you use phonemic, phonetically consistent word list and write down the keywords, you'll be successful. So if anyone's listening at home and yeah. or in their car and they go, okay, I need to I need to find out more about this, the website is sayitright.org, correct? 
Yes. And then how else can they find you or where can they find to get more information about the entire world of R or, you know, I, I, I creeped on your LinkedIn and you're a yoga person. What if they want to find anything, where would they look for you? Um, say it right.org. We have ASHA approved courses too. We have a whole R makeover course. And then I believe I have a course with y'all too. Um, and they can take those courses, get CEUs, at least um, on the Say It Right site, they can. Correct. And yeah, I believe there is something also on exceptionaled.com uh, as yeah. well. Christine, thank you so yeah. much for sitting down and talking the entire world of R and changing the way I look at my R therapy. <laughs> no problem, Matt. I'm glad I could be of some assistance. Let me know how it works out for you. I, I will do so. <laughs> Okay. Hi, I'm Stephanie Munoz from the Informed SLP. Changing the temperature, taste, or carbonation of liquids to help improve swallow function has been a promising idea for a while. And it's especially appealing because who wouldn't want to be recommending a 7-Up, for example, instead of thickened liquids? And there's preliminary evidence that supports that amping up the stimulation of a beverage may improve swallow safety, efficiency, and some timing measures. But most of those studies have been done under video fluoroscopy, and we know that the sensory experience of carbonated or flavored barium just isn't the same as, say, plain seltzer or juice. So we still have a working question. How do cold, sour, or carbonated liquids affect swallow function? A recent study by Dr. Reagan in the journal Dysphagia gives us new insight into this question. Participants with dysphagia drank neutral, cold, sour, or carbonated liquids while being evaluated with high-resolution manometry. High-resolution manometry is an increasingly popular way to test pharyngeal and upper esophageal sphincter pressures while people drink real-life liquids, no barium required. So what did the author find? She found that all three stimulating bolus types resulted in more vigorous pharyngeal contractions and a longer duration of upper esophageal sphincter relaxation. In short, stimulating liquids seem to cause stronger swallows. On its own, this study doesn't tell us about swallow safety, but it does offer a biomechanical rationale behind the prior promising findings. It's one more piece of the puzzle to help guide our thinking about how and when we might use stimulating liquids with our patients. For now, here's a few ideas of how you could apply these results. First, as a compensatory strategy. Let's say you're doing a video swallow study and find that your patient is having trouble clearing food from her pharynx. You could test if a sip of a cold, sour, or carbonated beverage is more effective to clear the residue than a typical liquid barium wash. Remember, mixing the stimulating liquid with barium can change how it feels to your patient, so just give it plain. On the therapy side, if pharyngeal strengthening is one of your goals, you could try giving your patients stimulating liquids during therapy to facilitate more robust pharyngeal contractions during the swallow. To learn more about this paper and other new research, check out our reviews on the informedslp.com. There's links to both the original article and the review in the show notes. The Informed SLP makes it easy for you to stay up to date on all of the clinically relevant research across the lifespan that comes out every month. Know what works to do what works.
Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always by Michael McLeod. What's up? And Michelle Wintering. Hello again. Hey, so the first part of the show was the uh, look at the presidential candidates and then a deep dive into the world of R. Uh, and I met Christina down at ASHA, so that was pretty cool to go down there and then get her on air. Uh, and we recorded that way back in December, four months ago, before the plague hit. So it was interesting. It was an interesting time back in December. Oh, guys, do you guys realize? Interesting time in the beginning of March. Like, so before before we got on air today, I mentioned that this is only week five of the shutdown. And today in Ohio, and and in Ohio, they finally told us that the schools are out for the rest of the year and we're doing remote learning. So did Kentucky. Yeah, I I think that uh, Bashir and DeWine had talked so that they were all doing it at the same time (laughs) guys we've only been in this for like five or six weeks the world of society is spinning out of control i had to go pick up bricks at menards and before anyone yells at me i ordered them online and then drove my suv through the pickup gate and then drove to the brick area and i interacted with one person through a window but the parking lot got for the, your bricks. I got my bricks. The parking lot for everybody else just milling around in the store was busier than Black Friday this weekend. It's insane. Michelle, what's that look for? Uh, that surprises me. Yeah. No, evidently everyone and their brother was out and about on the town this weekend. And stores were packed. We made it six weeks. We made it six weeks before society said, "No, we're good. We're going shopping." I yelled well, at my yeah, mom and dad because they went nuts. out and I yelled at my mom and dad because they went to the store to buy toothpaste because it was on sale for a dollar. I'm like, you don't need it, so they went back home. I'm like, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so I do have to share this. I saw one of the memes shared around, and I thought this one was was clever. Where they talk about, you know how. Um, people will make references to their grandparents or something like, why do they do such and such or (laughs) save this um, or whatever? And they're like, oh, they lived through the Great Depression. (laughs) And people are saying now, uh, you know, our grandkids are going to be like, why is grandma wiping down all the grocery bags and the outsides of things with Clorox wipes? And they'll be like, it's okay. She lived through the COVID. I hope we live through COVID, man. I'm just saying. Yeah. (sighs) All right, on a positive, how much data are you taking? This is an article, or this is a blog post from KiwiSpeech.com. Mike, you sent us to us in the, the group chat, but I remember going back to Ohio University where they talked about how important data is, and I'm always trying to find new data, but kind of the idea here is, isn't how much data, but it's the quality of the data, right? Yeah, this is really a fantastic article from uh, the people of Kiwi Speech. Uh, they really outline what good data is. Uh, good data is obviously valid, uh, sensitive, meaning that it will show change when change is being made, replicable and reliable. Obviously, that's what good op- good data is. And then and then she goes and talks. I'm, I'm assuming it's a female. Uh, she goes and talks about uh, how good therapy is dynamic. How it's impor- always important to be dynamic and to improvise and to be energized in therapy. And how, because of those two different things, she's basically stopped trying to do both at the same time, therapy and data, and has found ways to track data at the end of sessions as opposed to within the middle of the session. Uh, her name is Kristen. Yes. There you go. Yes. I knew it. 
from Pittsburgh. Well, Australia and then Pittsburgh. <laughs> sorry. But okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You take data at the end of the session instead of during the session? Uh, it's ba basically what she was saying is um, instead of oh. uh, um, basically at any given point in time, she's either collecting data, giving therapy, but she's never doing both at the same time. It seems like that was the lesson learned, which I thought was interesting because she puts it as um, great data or data means crappy therapy and great therapy means crappy data. And, interesting. Um, and I do, th I mean, I, I can agree with that statement to an extent. I can think of certain patients that I've worked mm -hmm. with and if I'm trying to get a measurement, you know, my therapy just drops off. But, um, but I also well, think there are times that you can be doing really good therapy and take a measurement at some point too. Well, that kind of goes with what we talked about during the interview. When we look at the letter R, we, we think of vocalic R and we think of pre-vocalic R or the, the consonant R. And then when we think about it, we think about the R paired with different vowels. Well, according to the world of R, she was telling me there's 32 different allophones for the world of, for the R sound. Mm -hmm. And, if you're, only, and yep. if you're only taking data on five, you're missing 27 other locations. And I know today when I was working with a voice patient, Michelle, you're 100% right. I was concentrating on looking at what uh, their decibel rating was at two and a half feet, three feet, and not watching my patient at times. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like looking for not signs of distress, but, you know, when you're trying to talk about like, hey, let's moderate this or let's keep that going so and even as simple as because so much of our data taking at least if you work for a company that has a system that you have to input stuff into a mm -hmm. computer or a tablet or whatever um i always talk to my patients when i have my laptop that i have to write down their info in at an eval i'm always like hey i'm gonna look at this for a couple minutes and then i'll be right back to you because i can't do both well so question for you, how, how often do you guys track data during your sessions? This is a question we have during, during school-based sessions. Like, for example, for me in a 30-minute session, I think I track data for the last five minutes. You're already doing th tracking data at the end of the session. Right, no, I know, but I'm just thinking like, you know, it depends on the, like, that's my school sessions. The inpatient ones are a little bit different, but realistically it's hard to like convert where you're testing somebody or not testing uh training somebody on a skill and then trying to figure out how to what to count because like do you count it when they're wrong the first five times or do you count it when they're right the last five times i make a note of it to be honest do you really give, you put both yeah if i put if i put a percentage score then i usually put this was after mm, okay you know after 30 minutes of training or exercises or whatever it was mainly so i or another therapist could look at it and say that's fair how do i duplicate this mike yeah it also totally depends on the kid the setting uh is it based on an iep what does the data specifically say uh it, it totally depends on on exactly who you're working with and uh i think the last five ten minutes is is completely valid uh you, you don't really want to be working with kids especially those who are self-aware and be jotting True. jotting down these notes right in front of them. You want to you you always <laughs> want to keep that face to face personable aspect to therapy. And you don't want these you know every time a kid talks to do a little check mark or uh, it, you know kids pick up on these things. 
and uh, and you know waiting till the kid leaves the room or giving them some sort of incentive at the end where they're distracted and you're taking your notes down. I think that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Sounds terrible. I've... I get very poor rewards. Sorry, Michelle. Oh, Come. no, I was <laughs> just going to say when I'm doing a, a session where I want to be sure to get some data that day to compare to the week before or whatever, um, I do sometimes like to do a quick check-in at the beginning, like if Ooh. they have a quick goal that I try to see how they do when they walk right in the door, and then that's I'll fair. check at the end of the session. Um, and that's my two data points kind of of, you know, are they improving kind of that spontaneous they just came from home yeah and at the end of our session is there a big difference i need to improve my data that's all i'm gonna say i did pay for the slp toolkit literally a week and a half before we all shut down for for COVID. you were all excited about that last week though i was and i still have to digitize some of my data but like I'm not as excited because I paid for it and now I don't get to use it. No. I know. It was like $100 or whatever it was, 140 or whatever. Well, I'm sure they've got it's some really good cool. resources for you. <laughs> they do. And they're like, do you want to do this? And I'm like, no, I, I guess I'm paying for it, but I really just wanted to use it for the online data. <laughs> All right. So let us know what you think. How's your data collection? Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up in the Discord, discord.speechsciencepodcast, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Phone call, 614-681-1798, or text message there, or hashtag SSPod. Normally at this point, we would be doing an ASHA Look at what Ash is doing, but we covered that at the beginning of the episode. So then this is where we do our hot take, but we've replaced it the last couple of weeks with the hot seat, which is where one of us sits down for 60 seconds and the other two peppers us with questions like we're at batting practice in Florida in spring break, which didn't happen this year. Matt Hot is on the hot seat. Yeah, so do you want me to track my own timer? Uh, Nope, I got the timer. Okay, cool. I'm ready to answer questions. All right, Mike, me, you're gonna start. Let we'll me pull alternate. up. Uh, let me pull up my questions again. Uh oh. From last I didn't time. Have All right. Written down questions, you guys. All right, I'm good now. You're making me nervous now. I'm good. So I'm starting. Um. Yep. But let me get the timer. Hold on. All right. Matt, are you I'm, ready? I'm ready. Are you nervous? The seat was no, the actually, seat was made I, for you, dude. I was excited for this. <laughs> the seat is literally named for you. Yeah. I can talk about myself all day. If you guys haven't seat. noticed, radio right. show host, speech therapist, podcast host. Three, I can talk. two, one, go, Mike. Your favorite fast food restaurant? Arby's. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, orange sherbet. How many siblings do you have? One. Favorite Italian dish? Uh, lasagna. Uh, last place you ate out before COVID. <laughs> White Castles. <laughs> Favorite cookie? Uh, chocolate chip. What would you name a boat? Uh, I would name it the the Deep Sea Diver. Favorite cereal? Uh, Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios. Riskiest thing you've ever done? <sighs> I, I used to rappel off of an old retaining wall with only a handmade seat. Favorite breakfast food? Uh, bacon and eggs, scramble with sausage and peppers. Um, favorite kid. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't uh, the favorite that. kid is the don't one that answer. I won't say which everyone can hear this episode. Favorite wrestler of all time. Braun Strowman. All right. You know what happened? 
What? Fail. The timer didn't go. <laughs> I win the 60 second count. All right. That's the hot seat. It replaces I'm like, the why hot has take. the timer not gone off? I'm like, okay, guys. No. Yeah. One more question, though, Matt. Okay. Yes. One place you want to travel to that you've never been? Europe. Anywhere in Europe? So I have a dream that I learned about when I was in college. I had a professor named Dr. Martin who gave me this idea, and it sounded great when I was 18, and it still sounds great at 34, but I don't know if I can actually do it at 34. But the idea is is you get on a – so you visit a city, whatever city in Europe. Make, pick your choice, whatever. Then get on one of those trains that goes across Europe, and you sleep overnight. And then when you wake up, you get off at that stop and spend the day in that city. And it could be wherever. It could be Italy, it could be Spain, it could be Germany, it could be Austria, it could be France. Then you just spend the whole day. And then get on the train at the end of the night and travel to wherever you wake up in the morning. It sounded so awesome as a kid. So All as, right. a, as an 18-year-old wow. adult 16 years ago. So I want to do it still. Actually, we had a radio show guy here. And the music's playing, so they know the episode's almost over. So they're already fast forward <laughs> to this part. I, we had a radio or station just guy. Just hitting end. <laughs> just stop yeah, it. Like, Double okay, time. enough of these people. But no, like we had a radio show host here in Cincinnati. They took a year off sabbatical from their job, took their kids out of school, and they traveled the world. They hit every country in the world for a year. And I guarantee you, those kids learned more in that year than the kids Bingo. who were in school did. Mm-hmm. Like they said, like he was doing interviews live to the show and I'm because, you know, whatever. And he was like, instead of just talking about the Great Wall of China, we walked it and then we talked about it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds so cool. Like pretty so. genius. Yep. All right, guys, let's wrap this thing up. Tell me something good that is happening in the next week for you and go, Mike. Uh, I'm doing my webinar on Wednesday and that's going to be fun. Awesome. Michelle. I'm going to listen to Mike's webinar. <laughs> no excuses. Okay, go. <laughs> I'm kidding, but um, if I can, I will. I'm trying to get out on some more bike rides. I think I told you Ooh. all I made a, a quarantine Walmart pickup purchase of a bike trailer to hold our toddler yes. in. And he loves it. He does That's not awesome. quite like the helmet yet, but we're making sure he wears it. Yeah, I, I hate these quarantine grocery store necessity runs slash order something online and doing everything the right way. I hate it. You don't mm -hmm. hate it, Michelle? No, I do. I had to drive yeah. to a different yeah. Walmart further so away weird. just to get this bike trailer. Though, so. uh, the thing that I am doing that I'm excited for, uh, I am doing two-minute run slash walks right now outside. And this week is the first time I'm going to start a run. And Michelle and Mike, you should be proud of me. Uh, three weeks ago, I was doing a 23-minute mile. And today, I cracked 18.23 mile, which is still incredibly slow. And probably most people could do that backwards. But I did it in, a, in, in 18 minutes. Progress forward. is progress. Not bad, dude. Exactly. I'm a big boy. So once you get it all moving forward... <laughs> It means you've got momentum. That's what like, it means. That's what it was. All right. Our opening music tonight 
which is the same as always. It's please listen carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find all of his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. The informed SLP's music was at the count by broke for free. It's licensed under a creative commons attribution license. And our closing music is the slow burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a creative commons attribution license. Uh, and the immortal words of Janice, Wright: Be a willow, be safe out there, but be a willow in the storm. The Oak looks strong, but it will crack. The willow will bend and return to form. Uh, for Michelle Wintering and Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.